0: Hey, friends, and welcome to The Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie. And if you're listening to this in real time, it's almost Christmas, you guys. We're like three days away. And I hope that wherever you're listening to this right now, that you're finding some joy, that you're finding some peace in the midst of what can sometimes be a hectic month. And yet it is a moment that we pause and think and look forward to remembering the birth of Jesus and looking forward to coming again another day. You guys, what a fun month this has been because we've had some great shows and we've also brought to you every single show from The Jamie Ivy Show. I don't know if you were able to catch when the Jamie Ivey show came out earlier in 2021. And if you've seen it on YouTube, if you haven't, I highly recommend you go watch it. It's like your regular old talk show. Remember how we used to race home to watch Oprah and Sally, Jesse, Raphael? Well, this is the Jamie Ivey show. So you can race on over to YouTube and check it out. My guest Holly Hayes is on the show today. And if you're a longtime Happy Hour listener, you've heard Holly on the Happy Hour before. So this is gonna be a comeback episode for her. But this audio is from when she sat down with me for the Jamie Ivey show. One thing you know about Holly, if you've heard the show before, is that she celebrated 20 years of sobriety and 20 years out of being trafficked and 20 years as being a follower of Jesus. Her story is incredible. I highly recommend you go back and find her original episode on here when you're done. It came out in 2018. In fact, and it's episode number 185. So today you're listening to episode 453. Go back to episode 185, and that is a conversation with Holly that you might want to hear as well. She talks a lot today about Sanctuary Project and what her goal was with creating that and how it's going. And we're big fans of Sanctuary Project over here. And in fact, if you've got any Christmas money left over or any last-minute gifts, I don't think it'll arrive to you by Christmas for sure, but it's worth going and checking out. Follow them and see what they're doing. Great work at Sanctuary Project. She shares today in the episode about her survivor journey of addiction, abortion, and trafficking, and eventually finding Jesus and following him. We also dive into a topic today that not many people talk about. In fact, I've only talked about this on the episode with her. I don't think I've ever had another conversation about this, and that's embryo adoption. She shares what that journey has looked like with her and her family and her baby girl, and it was such a joy to hear her heart for embryo adoption and to hear more information about it. You're really going to enjoy our conversation today. And like I said earlier, if you'd like to see Holly and I have this conversation, you can watch the conversation at jamieivcom slash YouTube, where you can see all of the episodes from the Jamie Iv show. You guys don't forget that we are working really hard to see so many children in the Dominican Republic receive sponsorship through Compassion International. One of the things I love about Compassion is that they have this three-cord approach to ministry. And what they mean by that is the three of those together make an amazing organization called Compassion International. It's why they serve, it's how they serve, and it's who they serve. Everything they do is uh, Christ-centered. They really, really, really take the phrase from Jesus of love thy neighbor seriously. They're also very church-driven. And in fact, it's my favorite thing I say it all the time is that they work in partnership with local churches because their desire is to equip the church to fulfill its role as salt and light to the world. Compassion is really coming behind and helping pastors and church leaders around the world do exactly what churches are to do, to care for children who are in poverty. They believe that the local church is actually best suited to address the needs of the children in their particular community because the church is already there. They're already involved in that community. And really only the local church can effectively deliver the Jesus-based teaching and the whole life care that children in poverty actually deserve. They're also child-focused. When a child is in their child sponsorship program, That child is the focus of that program. One of the great things is that their family members, they are going to receive some indirect benefits from Compassion, but that child is their focus. Through their holistic child development model, they blend physical, social, economic, and spiritual care together to help children in poverty fully mature and to often transcend what is this generational legacy of policy. They are the world's leading authority in holistic child development through child sponsorship. They are child-focused for this child's entire life. When you sponsor a child through Compassion International, your money goes directly towards that child. In fact, you can write them letters. You can send additional gifts. It is a really an amazing opportunity to step in and help equip the local church to be the local church and to really release a child from poverty in the name of Jesus. Guys, as you're gathered with your family this week. Maybe a unique opportunity for you would be to sit down with your family and say, you know what, together we are going to sponsor a child through Compassion International. You can go to the webpage, compassion.com slash ivy. You can scroll through, and our goal is to get as many children sponsored as we can that have been waiting over a year. We want them to have a sponsor in the coming year so that they can receive the benefits that Compassion is able to give them. Maybe you want to sit down with your family and pick out a child together. We've done that before with our family, and it's a beautiful moment for the entire family family to say, we're going to pray for this child. And we're going to know that our money is helping their local church meet some of their needs. Guys, go to compassion.com slash Ivy for more information. All right, friends, here is my conversation with my sweet friend, Holly, who used to be my neighbor, I might say, and now her and her family have moved. And I just adore this woman and her story and her passion and the way that she helps those around her. So here's my conversation with Holly Hayes.
1: Holly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. This This is is great. This is really great. This is really great.
0: You're my friend. We live in the same neighborhood. We do this often. Which is crazy, (laughs) which is crazy. But one of my favorite things about you is what you've started and what you're running and what you're doing, Sanctuary Project. Tell me a little bit about Sanctuary Project and then why
1: this? Why this mission? Yeah, so Sanctuary Project is a survivor-run nonprofit organization that employs and empowers women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. We have a jewelry line, so all the jewelry I'm wearing, all the jewelry you're wearing today I mean, she had to because I, I know, was here. I but. know, yeah. So we work with women coming out of trafficking. I'm a survivor myself. I came out of that life about 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years in February. Um, congratulations! Thank you. 20 amazing? years. I'm going to Disneyland, literally. To celebrate. Yes. I'm so
0: happy for you. I'm so happy. Yes.
1: And that's 20 years of sobriety yep. and 20 years out of that trafficking situation, 20 years of a new life in Christ. I didn't know Jesus right away when that happened, but found Jesus in, in the course of that recovery journey. And so over the course of those years, I've mentored a lot of women who also were coming out of that life. And I have noticed again and again, a common theme in the transitioning in work. It's such a challenge when you're sexuality has been linked to your work, Mm. to then go and try to find a normal job, right? To then go and try to work at Taco Bell or work in retail, when everything about your work life has been associated with exploitation and pain and trauma. And so over the years of mentoring women, I really started to dream of building a place where I could be a safe harbor, a company where we could give women a second chance, a place where women can cry at work. We like Mm -hmm. to say you can cry at work. And just to build this place where women can rebuild their identity and do that in community with other survivors. So we're an entirely survivor-led organization. Everyone from our social media girl to our operations, me at the top as the CEO, our office manager, our program director, every single person on our staff is a survivor, which is really incredible. It's so great. And I can't get over that you're going to
0: Disneyland. I love it so much. (laughs) You know, I had never thought about what you just said, though, that so many women who have come out of trafficking would associate sexual exploitation Mm With their work. Yeah. I remember when you and I volunteered at our local county jail yeah. and we would often talk to the women about how hard it is to find. I don't want to use like real jobs, but like jobs that are legal. Yeah. Legal jobs. That's legal a good way jobs, to it. You know, <laughs> yeah. because there's so much more profitability sometimes. Absolutely. In jobs that are damaging to your
1: soul, your heart, your body, all the things. Well, it's high risk and sometimes high reward, right? And so, right. you know, my first job was actually as a drug dealer. Um, after trafficking or your before, first job ever? This was before I was okay. even trafficked. After that, I was a stripper. But when I was a drug dealer, I made really good money. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned a lot about business, which was kind of funny. I mean, now I actually... Now running a business. It's really funny. And we have all these little, like, we put jewelry in little dime bags. Uh-huh. Like <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're like, I feel
1: like I've done this before. Yeah, We have like gram scales uh-huh. setting out to yeah. weigh jewelry. And we're like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah this looks familiar yeah but I made really good money from a very young age and so I associated myself it almost created a sense of self-esteem or self-worth mm-hmm. that I had made so much money right I had this connection to work where it was like I know I'm capable I know I'm smart I know I see margins I know I understand customer service and then I went and became a stripper and then was traffic you know even though I was being exploited and the money was being taken from me I still had that feeling that I was earning mm-hmm. for myself I was told it was empowering even, you know? And so there was almost this downgrade that had to happen, which was really terrible, terrible. right? Going from being trafficked to then all of a sudden making less money when I wanted to start getting legal jobs and doing things that were legal because then I had a criminal record Mm -hmm. at that point. I had dropped out of high school. So I had none of the skills or the assets to go get a job that you would make the same amount that you were. So when
0: you're employing women, It feels like a lot of kind of what you want to do and mentor them is to give them dignity in the work that they're doing. Because how do you give them dignity if they're feeling the same thing you felt all those years ago of like, I could do this and make this much money,
1: Or I could do this, and golly, I don't make as much money. How does a woman find dignity in that? I think so much of it for us has been reclaiming that sense of femininity and beauty. Mm. And so what we create is intentional. My first job in recovery was shining shoes. And I loved shining shoes because all day long, I was taking something dirty, and I was making it beautiful. Mm. And that's what we do at Sanctuary Project. All day long, the girls are working with beautiful things. All day long, they're touching, they're handling, they're creating beautiful jewelry. And so all day long, the message they're getting, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is I make beautiful things. Mm. I make beautiful things. I make beautiful things. Mm. We pay them pretty well. We're a nonprofit, so we can't, I wish we could pay them more. Shop (laughs) Sanctuary (laughs) Project, so we can pay them more. (laughs) But we pay them well, you know, they're paid above minimum wage. But ultimately, it's more about that community and that sense of value and self-worth of we make beautiful things Mm. together all day long, every day.
0: You said it was shoe shining for you.
1: It was shoe shining
0: for me. And for some of these girls, it's making jewelry. Yeah. Yeah. When you see a girl who comes in and works with you guys and she starts making beautiful things, you see a transformation.
1: Instantly. My favorite thing is every single girl, when she starts, and our girls usually start in our job training program, which is eight hours a week. And every single girl will come in and say, well, I'm not really into like jewelry. I'm Uh not like a girly girl like that. And we're like, okay, that's fine. Like, you know. But then after about a week or so, she's like, I do really like this one necklace. I do like this piece, maybe. And they get a really hefty discount. And so they'll save their money and, and, you know, and then I'll watch them buy their first piece and then they'll start wearing it every day. And then they'll start dressing a little bit nicer and then they'll buy their second piece. And by the time they've been working for us for a year, I mean, all the girls look like me, they're all in dresses, they're (laughs) decked out in jewelry. They're like, they are their full feminine selves. And that's an external transformation Mm -hmm. that mirrors what's happening on the inside. Mm. Because what's happening on the inside is all of a sudden they feel safe. All of a sudden they feel safe enough to be a woman. I mean, when you've been exploited all day long, every day, Mm. like this part of your femininity has to shut down because if you look soft, you're going to get hurt, Mm. right? And we see those girls like in the jail. Mm. If you're soft there, you're going to get hurt. And that's not a world where you're allowed to be soft. And so for the first time... They're allowed to be soft Mm. and their hearts start to soften and their appearance starts to soften and their soul starts to soften. And now I have these a bunch of soft ladies (laughs) working for me. And and it's such a joy. It's such a joy to see that,
0: you know, sex trafficking is something that was brought to my attention. I don't know. Ten years ago, Mm -hmm. I was one of those people that assumed that sex trafficking was in Thailand over there. And it still is. Yeah, obviously. But it's here as well and you yourself were a victim of trafficking, yeah. how are ways that just anyone watching, I mean, obviously, Shop Sanctuary Project, mm-hmm. that is the helpful thing. But in all reality, what are like some everyday things that us women, we can link arms together to try to spot trafficking? Mm-hmm. How can we be a part of the solution for what's happening?
1: Yeah, you know, like you, I thought it was an over there problem. I was even trafficked and thought it was an over there problem. Well, you know, when we would
0: do our thing in the jail, yeah. And we would go through that week. There would always be a woman in there who would go, that happened oh to me my gosh, and I didn't me too. know it.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that was my story too. When I first heard about trafficking, my heart broke and I was like, oh, those poor girls. Yeah. <laughs> and I went over to Thailand and I volunteered with organizations in Thailand. And I was like, well, I'm a former sex worker. I'm a former prostitute. So I understand what they're going through. But these poor girls, yeah. I mean, I chose it. Right. And, you know, it took years for me to start to unpack that. I didn't choose you didn't this. choose anything. I was absolutely exploited. For me, it was by a boyfriend, which is very common very. in the United States. And it just looked different. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we have to understand here in the U.S. is that trafficking is very real. It's happening in every single city in America. There's nowhere that's immune yeah. to it. If mm-hmm. there are people that will buy sex, there are girls being trafficked, yep. you know, and it looks different here in America. Oftentimes it's the boyfriend or it's yeah. a family member. And if you're a mama, I would say be watching what your kids are doing. Doing online. That is the number one place we're seeing girls being trafficked yeah. from. You don't have to kidnap girls anymore. Yep. You just go into Snapchat or TikTok and see who's out there trying to get attention. And then that trafficker will develop a relationship with her, become the boyfriend. So watch what your kids are doing online. Know the boyfriend. Yeah. Know who the boyfriend is. You know, everyone in my life knew that man was no good. Mm. And yet, like, you know, they didn't even know how bad it was. They didn't even know what was actually going on. But get to know the boyfriend. Make sure you're watching everything they're doing online, because that is absolutely where traffickers are targeting. I would say just educate yourself. Just the knowledge of this is happening in my
0: city. That is a good place to start to know and be aware of what's happening. Um, Holly, this is so great. All right, guys, we're going to come back with Holly in just a minute. And we're going to have a conversation about something that you're going to want to come back for. Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day.
2: Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar carts, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free, and flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now, May 6th, at Wayfair.com. Wayfair, every style, every home.
0: Okay, guys, welcome back. I'm still here with my friend Holly Hayes, and we were just talking about her wonderful organization, Sanctuary Project. And Holly, the reason that we met was you were a guest on the podcast that I host, and you came to my house, and we had an interview, and actually, you may not know this, but I reference you all the time. I give you credit, but I reference you, and I tell people that we had a conversation about abortion, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and we talked about how you experienced walking into an abortion clinic, Mm -hmm. and the channers, the picketers yelling at you, nasty things, all the things that you would imagine. And then after you had an abortion, you left out the back door. And here's what you said. You said, where were the backdoor Christians? Yeah. And I've never forgotten that. I've used that and thought mm-hmm. about that all the time. And so I want to ask you, you and I are both people of faith, we're both Christians. Yeah. What are you doing to protect life? Sanctity of life, pro-life, what does that look like for you in
1: the work you do, in the life you've lived, all of those things? Yeah, it's such a good question. I had five abortions in the years that I was being exploited and in abusive relationships and addicted to drugs. And in every single situation, I felt like I had no other choice. Mm. Part of that might have been that I grew up in this liberal home where I was taught that abortion was a good thing. Not that it's good to be killing babies, but that Abortion was a good thing because there were so many unwanted babies in the system okay. already. And until that issue was dealt with, until all the drug babies were adopted, until every single child was adopted out of foster care, it would be irresponsible for someone to bring another unwanted baby into the world. And so the first time I got pregnant, I was 16 years old. I was, it was from my meth dealer, uh, you know, great guy, yeah. <laughs> um, stand up dude. You know, I was a child, and I was doing drugs at the time. I was addicted to meth at the time. I didn't find out I was pregnant until I was about 10 or 12 weeks along, so I knew it was going to be a drug baby. Mm-hmm. And so I really felt like this was the only choice I had. Like, I didn't feel like there was any responsible part of me that could, like, keep that baby and raise that and because child. of the
0: worldview that you had
1: grown yeah. up in. Yeah, yeah. So it felt very natural for me to have had an abortion. My parents knew I was having an abortion. There was no shame yeah. around it because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So there wasn't that value around the protection of the sanctity of life. All kinds of things went wrong in that, that I now understand where I was lied to Mm -hmm. at Planned Parenthood about the gestational age of my baby, about its life stage, about, you know, whether it had a heartbeat or not. I mean, I was told it was just a clump of cells. And Mm -hmm. now that I have a baby of my own, I know like, you know, at 10 weeks, 12 weeks, that's not a clump of cells. Right. Yeah. So there are things I understand now that I didn't understand at that time. But at the time, I really felt like I was doing The right thing the right thing and your only thing and the only thing and so i think what's interesting is i have such a different perspective probably on abortion than a lot of christians because what i find often in the christian world is that there's a lot of focus on saving babies right the pro-life movement is all about stopping abortion overturning roe versus wade Mm -hmm. end abortion in our lifetime those are kind Mm -hmm. of the talking points and we vote accordingly and we Pick it accordingly, and we make all of our decisions politically accordingly, right? I mean, yeah. that's like what you're supposed yeah. to do as a mm-hmm. good Christian. And there's nothing wrong with that because life is sacred and it does need to be protected. And, you know, once I was in Christ, I actually many years later realized, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like, Th- that was murder. Yeah. Those were lives. Yeah. Those were humans. They're with Jesus. He's showed me them. I know their mm-hmm. names. I get to visit them in meditation and pray with him. And I know one day I'll hold them. And so life is sacred, right? I think I have such a different perspective on it because I have to walk through this with a lot of my girls too. Yeah. There's been three girls that have come to me pregnant, come to Sanctuary Project pregnant. to work. huh. Yeah, two of them have chosen not life. Okay. And one of them did choose life Mm -hmm. for that child. And in all three cases, they were pregnant with a Trix baby. They were pregnant, you know, from uh, someone who bought sex from them. Mm -hmm. So they didn't know who the father was. Right. And so in all three cases, there was fear. There was sometimes drug use. um, There was, you know, what kind of father is this? I don't even know who the father is Mm -hmm. and what kind of genetics is this child going to have because this father is someone who bought sex from a trafficked girl, you know, I mean, so much uncertainty. Yeah. Like all very real Mm -hmm. heart wrenching, gut wrenching kind of things that they're having to walk through. It's funny when we had that conversation, I had not had to be a backdoor Christian to the degree I've had to in the last three years. I've had to walk it out and I've had to love girls making that choice and being pregnant myself and having them make that choice and not being able to stop it because I can't control another person. Mm -hmm. You know, we offered them all the resources in the world, but they still felt like, I can't bring an unwanted baby into this world. That same worldview yeah. I had, right? I mm-hmm. can't bring another unwanted baby into yeah. this world. I can't bring another drug baby into this world. I can't bring the baby of a trick into this mm-hmm. world. And so it's been a really interesting journey of having to walk it out, right? And to see the abortion conversation from a very non-political, right, real life perspective of like, what does it look like for us to actually start talking about life being sacred? Mm. What does it look like for us as Christians? Because we have to live differently. We can't just vote differently. Right. Like we actually have to live in a way that says like, I am going to raise your child. I'm going to raise your drug baby. I'm going to raise your foster child. I'm going to raise a baby that is half traffic girl and half trick. Mm-hmm. I want that baby. Mm-hmm. And I think until Christians can actually start fighting for those babies that are already here, we have a big uphill battle. And fighting for those moms. Yes, yeah. You know, Like not only would we be willing yeah.
0: to raise your child, but we'd be willing to step in, walk with you as you raise your child. Yeah. You're saying there's more to this conversation than just, we are pro-life and anti-abortion. Yeah. We're also going to be pro-life. and bigger level.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think we have to walk alongside women. I mean, this is kind of a sensitive topic, but I think we have to look at a world where in the olden days, pre Roe versus Wade, we would have women struggle with infertility and then they would go and adopt babies Mm -hmm. because they couldn't get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now we have women who struggle with infertility go and get fertility treatment and have their own babies and then What happens to those babies Mm. if they're still in the system? I think there's some conversations to be had around fertility, too. Uh Are you talking about what happens to those embryos? Well, I think there's so many conversations to have. First of all, you have women who used to adopt, who are no longer adopting because fertility treatments are available to them. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it's not a problem, but it's something we have to talk about if we're talking about, it's a a change in the Uh world, right? It's a change post Roe versus Wade. It's a change that the world has seen that we haven't unpacked yet. Mm. That we haven't actually, as Christians, had conversations around yet. What are we doing as Christians having fertility treatments when they're still babies? And in a post-Roe versus Wade being overturned world that we're fighting for, dreaming of voting for who's going to take all those babies if Christians are going and getting fertility treatments, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that is a conversation that needs to be had. And beyond that, That's a hard conversation. Oh, absolutely. There's people who are sweating right now. Absolutely. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry because I know how sensitive it is. You know, and my husband and I walked through it. We didn't meet each other and get married until we were in our late 30s. Mm -hmm. So I'm 41 now. We got married when I was 36 and we immediately had to start having those conversations, right? Because it was like, okay, we know we're approaching life couple, right? Yeah. Pro-life in the ways I've just unpacked. Right. Meaning that I know there are lives out there that need to be taken care of. Yeah. Loved. Yeah. Um, raised. Mm-hmm. Right. So the options that felt available to us with that worldview were quite different than, you know, with that Christian pro-life worldview of what are the lives out there that need life right now mm-hmm. versus, oh, I just want to get pregnant and I want to have a baby yeah. that looks like us. And there's a, just a lot to unpack there. there there's is a, a lot. Yeah. And it's a good conversation. It's worth having. I think so. And I don't think we're having that. It's not being talked about. I mm-hmm. mean, I remember one time like hearing a testimony from a stage at a church of a couple that was in for And then they went and did in vitro and they got their miracle baby. And I was like, well, that's great. (laughs) But what about like all the babies that don't have homes? Because I remember growing up when my mom's friend Joy couldn't get pregnant, she adopted two babies. And like that was their miracle Mm -hmm. story and that was their redemption story. And so if every couple that's infertile in the church just goes default, I'm going to go do in vitro, or I'm going to go mm-hmm. do fertility treatments. What's going to happen to all those babies? I mean, who's going to adopt them? Yeah. Because if the church is not adopting, who is going to adopt? Because yeah. we're called to. The rest of the world is not called to, but we're called to. Like scripture says, like care for the widows and the orphans. Yeah. And so there are orphans that need to be adopted. And that was an interesting journey for us because when we hit that point where we we got married and we did the thing married. Couples do. We, what is it? Oh, you, the thing. You, okay, yeah, you, I know. I oh, okay, know, okay yeah, 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 yeah. So we did that thing, and um, and babies didn't come immediately, and we immediately got into those conversations. We looked into adoption really quickly. I thought, you know, with the values I have, there are kids in foster care, drug babies that are mm-hmm. going to need our help, yeah. and I felt called to that. I was like, we're going to adopt. This is great. I know where we're going, and we immediately started fielding different yeah. applications uh-huh. and got denied by every single option. Because you were of, denied by every single option because of? Because of my criminal background. Because of your criminal background. Because of my criminal background. Wow. And so, um, which is fine. I think those protections are in place for, for sure, a reason. For sure, for sure. And so, you know, there was like a little part of me that was like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think I'd make a great foster mom. I think I'd make a great adoptive mom, but I also understand for those sure, protections sure, and I'm for, for them. Sure. Okay. You're going through this journey. Yeah. You get denied. We get denied. I know you have a baby.
0: You do. I do. Okay, but wait. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to find out about Holly and Jeff's journey to their sweet baby girl.
3: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu capella university is accredited by the higher learning commission learn more at capella.edu accreditation
2: here you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too aww i mean just look at the little guy Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not.
0: Okay, we're back with my friend Holly Hayes, and she was just telling us about her and her husband, Jeff's journey towards parenthood and how you were denied at all of these adoption agencies because of your criminal background.
1: Yeah. Didn't you want to be like, look at me now? I did. There was a part of me that was like, oh, you're missing out. Like I'd be the best mom for these kids. But there was another part of me that was like, okay, Lord, like what is it then? Because I know I'm called to be a mom and I know I'm called to do it differently. I knew he had a redemption story for us after five abortions and it taken forever for me to find my husband. (laughs) (laughs) I knew there was a redemption redemption story in there. You know, if there's one thing I've learned about God in the last 20 years, it's that he makes beautiful things out of our messes and out of our ashes. And so every time I hit a no or a closed door in anything in life, I'm always like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Uh What's next? Where do you want me to go? What happened next with you guys? I started doing research into different forms of adoption and I came across something I had never heard of before. It was called embryo adoption. And What I learned was that when couples do in vitro, which I've had these convictions about, where I was like, why are people in the church doing this, Mm -hmm. right? And that was never on the table for you guys. No, I knew. Because of your conviction. Yeah, I just personally, and you know, nothing against anyone who's done it. Many people I love have done it. But I just felt this conviction that there were babies that needed a home Mm -hmm. and that until every baby has a home, I'm not going to go make more babies, you know? Mm -hmm. And I even felt that way about us getting pregnant. Like I was sort of hoping I wouldn't. We kept doing the thing married people do. Good. Good, I'm glad. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping that he had a different path for us because I knew that there were babies that needed homes. What I didn't know was that when couples do in vitro, often they'll make like 20 embryos Mm -hmm. or seven embryos, and then they only transfer one or two. Mm -hmm. And what I had always understood about that process is that when they have those leftover embryos, that those are just discarded, that you could donate them to science or that they're just thrown away. And that's true? It is. It has been historically. And you know, being pro life, that doesn't sit well with me. I understand couples having to make a very difficult choice in that scenario, but those are life, right? Pro life would mean that at conception. Life begins at conception, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so whether you're conceived in a petri dish in a doctor's office or conceived in a womb. That's when life happens, right? And so that's never sat well with me. And what I ended up coming across in my research of adoption was an opportunity to adopt embryos from other couples who had done in vitro and had leftover embryos. Mm -hmm. I learned that day that there are more than a million embryos frozen in cryobanks all over the world. Sorry. And I felt God's heart for them. And I felt so overwhelmed that there's all these lives just sitting in cryobanks and just waiting to come to the earth. And many of them never, ever will. But it just broke my heart. I learned they're called snowflake babies. Okay. And Jeff came home that day and I was in a puddle of tears and I couldn't even speak barely. And I said, they call them snowflake babies. And I started telling him and he looked at me and he said, this is how God wants to redeem your abortions, isn't it? And it was, <laughs> it was the single most beautiful moment in our marriage because I knew that this was the story he had for us, that I would get to adopt babies at the very same stage that I destroyed them. And I knew that this was what we were called to. There were so many wonderful things about it, so many gifts in it that I never would have expected. It felt like this whole other pro-life conversation that needed to be had. And I felt like this is an opportunity for us not only to become parents and to make a family at 36, 37, Mm -hmm. 38, 40, however. Whatever it would be. Yeah, but an opportunity for us to actually start having some of these conversations Mm -hmm. that her little life, that his little life, that whoever was coming, their little life, could be a spark of a conversation about fertility and about fertility medicine and about pro-life and about the pro-life movement and about the church and how do we live this out responsibly and how do we give life to all of God's creation? Mm -hmm. So we adopted five embryos, which was like so perfect Mm -hmm. because, you know. we had five abortions. Yeah. Yeah. And we met this family online. It was kind of like an online dating thing where you had you to met like, the family. We had to like create like a little profile and then like they had a profile and we had to like wink at each other. It was super awkward. <laughs> but it was five so embryos sweet. from one couple from one couple. Okay. And we just sort of all immediately knew they had an egg donor and her name was Holly and she was like this bubbly blonde writer. And it was like, I mean, we were just like, whoa. And then the sperm came from the husband and he was like a tall engineer named Joe. And like, <laughs> I mean, it was like us, you know, yeah. it was, just hilarious. We were so blown away. All of us were so blown away by what God was doing. And I was so afraid to tell them about my past and about my life, but they got to hear that story and immediately felt the same way Jeff did, where this is God's redemption story he has for you guys. And so... There's five. So we transferred the first one in December. We were pregnant immediately. And so we have a little daughter now, our little snowflake baby, our daughter Havana, who was born July 19th of, or July 25th of 2019. <laughs> 2019. Yeah, and she has little frozen brothers and sisters. So I got so sick, so I don't know what we're gonna do. You might need to have them for me. I am, <laughs> I am done having babies. <laughs> but I did not know about the five. Yeah. So she still has little siblings that are yeah. that are just waiting for life. Yeah. And so that's been an interesting conversation too, to try to figure out, you know, what do we do with how sick I got? I got severe preeclampsia yeah. and I'm 41, I'm so old now. I don't know if I can do it again. But what's amazing about embryo adoption and embryo donation is we can donate them to another mm-hmm. couple. And so for couples that are struggling with infertility, here's this other option yeah. where, for lack of a better word, where you're not adding to the problem, yeah. where you can actually adopt these babies that have been just waiting for life in the same way Mm -hmm. a foster kid would be waiting for a family Mm -hmm. Havana was just waiting for life
0: you know this but I have three kids through adoption yeah four total but three kids through adoption and we've been talking to our kids about adoption forever yeah how is this for you and Jeff what does that look like for conversations with Havana about this
1: you know we're starting now with just letting her know her story is special Mm I'm so excited to share some of the dreams I've actually had about her. I've had two dreams that were so sweet, where she, in the first one, she was singing the ABCs to me and she was a tiny baby. She was like four months old or something at the time. And we were in the car and she was in the backseat and she was singing the ABCs, but she was four months old. And I turned back to her and I said, Havana, how do you know how to sing your ABCs? And she said, because I'm really seven, mom. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, I was made seven years ago. And this wasn't a dream. Is that true? Yes. And this did not occur to me. I'm telling you, like, this did not occur to me in my conscious mind ever that uh-huh. my daughter is actually like seven years right. old, even though she's, right. but her spiritual age, mm-hmm. right? The day that she was created mm-hmm. by God and became alive was, was seven years ago. I mean, I have chills just like thinking yeah. about this because I mean, this is like, it's mind blowing, right? But I really do believe that she got her spirit and her life in that moment. And so what an interesting story for Very her. Very interesting. What an interesting journey journey for her to understand, wow, you were made all this time ago. And then mommy and daddy adopted you. And then you got to grow in mommy's tummy. And here you are in the world. And, you know, I don't think I would ever want her to know that she could have been discarded, but I do want her to know that her story is special, that she's a miracle and that there are other babies like her because this problem's not going away. Yeah. If there's a million right now and think about all the people who are getting fertility treatments daily, mm-hmm. if there's a million frozen right now, how many are there going to be in three years yeah. and five years by the time she's an adult? Yeah. And so I would hope that there are other families that would choose this, you know, and not even like as a backup choice, we got to the point where we were like, we're choosing this first choice. We started using birth control because we were like, <laughs> this is it. This, this is, is it. how we're going to build. our. This family. is our first choice yeah. way to build our yeah. family.
0: Well, Holly, I love because you said earlier that you've seen God in all of your life and God makes beautiful things Mm -hmm. out of our mess out of the world's mess out of broken things like God is in the business of making things beautiful Mm -hmm. and you're doing that through your organization with the women that work for you you're doing that with your family you're doing that with conversations like this of just helping us see things so thank you so much um, for joining us guys thank you for being here today and thank you Holly once again for sharing your story Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also tell your friends, that is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them, Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram, I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes, do you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing? Well, come over and find us there, and you can. jamieivycom slash YouTube. The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie, and I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend.